0: You're listening to KMXT Kodiak 100.1 FM. KMXT is also in HD and we have HD2 and HD3 and we're streaming live on the web at KMXT.org. It's just about noon, 35 degrees out at the airport and lightly snowing. Northwest winds of 21 miles per hour gusting to 32 miles per hour. Tonight, mostly cloudy, then gradually becoming clear with a low around 24. Northwest winds of around 25 miles per hour, although we could see gusts as high as 30 miles per hour overnight. Tomorrow, Saturday, sunny with a high near 31. West winds of 20 to 25 miles per hour, decreasing to 10 to 15 miles per hour in the afternoon. And Saturday night, snow mainly after 3 a.m. with a low around 26. We'll see winds out of the north, 5 to 10 miles per hour, becoming east winds of 15 to 20 miles per hour after midnight. We could see wind gusts as high as 25 miles per hour on Saturday, and Sunday is looking pretty snowy with a high near 38. Coming up, an update from State Senator Gary Stevens and State Representative Louise Stoots from this past week at the city and borough's joint work session. That's after NPR headlines.
1: Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. The U.S. Treasury Department is designating a Russian paramilitary organization known as the Wagner Group, a transnational criminal organization. The White House says Wagner poses a threat on multiple continents, and U.S. intelligence indicates that Wagner is even becoming a rival power center to the Russian military and other Russian ministries. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby shared two images that showed Wagner served as a go between for an armed shipment from North Korea to Russia's military in Ukraine. This imagery shows that on November 18th, five
2: Russian rail cars traveled from Russia to North Korea. On the next day, November 19th, North Korea loaded those rail cars with, rail cars with shipping containers, and the train returned to Russia. Now, while we assess that the amount of material delivered to Wagner has not changed battlefield dynamics in Ukraine, we do expect that it will continue to receive North Korean weapons systems.
1: Kirby says additional sanctions against the Wagner Group will be announced next week. Meanwhile, defense leaders of NATO countries have ended their meeting at Rammstein Air Base in Germany without agreeing on whether to provide Ukraine with modern tanks from Germany. Russia says expanded Western military aid to Ukraine could lead to a conflict between Russia and the NATO alliance and PR's Charles Maines brings us that story from Moscow.
3: Speaking to journalists, Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov repeated a long-held Russian talking point that Western arms shipments would not lead to Ukraine's victory but only prolong Ukrainian suffering. Peskov also warned the West deepening involvement risked what he called an upward spiral towards direct conflict between Russian and NATO forces, Ukraine has pleaded for increasingly sophisticated Western weapons, such as German and American tanks, to drive Russian forces from its territory. Meanwhile, the U.S. and its European allies have hotly debated how to strike a balance between providing military support for Ukraine and limiting Kiev's access to weapons that could overly antagonize the Kremlin. Charles Maines, NPR News, Moscow.
1: Attorney General Merrick Garland says the Justice Department is committed to working with local officials to address the deadly fentanyl epidemic. And Pierre's Kerry Johnson reports on Garland's remarks to the U.S. Conference of Mayors. The attorney general says six of ten fentanyl-laced pills the federal government seized last year contained a potentially deadly dose. He says many people don't even know they're taking fentanyl.
2: Too many lives have been lost to drug poisoning and overdose. Too many families, too many communities have been shattered.
1: Garland says the Justice Department's working to dismantle cartels and meeting with counterparts in Mexico. He also pledged more financial support for drug courts and recovery services at the local level to address addiction and overdoses. Carrie Johnson, NPR News, Washington. The Dow Jones Industrial Average ends the day up 330 points or 1 percent. The Nasdaq closed up 2.6 percent. This is NPR.
0: NPR News is presented to you in por la Providence, Kodiak Island, Centro de Azoramiento. Para una cita o más información, por favor, llama a 907-481-2400. For KMXT, I'm Kirsten Dobrath. Kodiak City Council and the Kodiak Island Borough Assembly held a joint work session for the first time since September 2021 on Wednesday night. KMXT's Brian Benoit reports State Representative Louise Stutes and State Senator Gary Stevens joined the session remotely from Juneau to share their priorities going into the legislative session.
4: Representative Stutz joined the meeting a bit later due to negotiations in the House. Stutz was previously Speaker of the House, but earlier this week she was moved to the Minority Caucus. Stutz says while she's now in a smaller position, her history of networking should protect her constituents' interests.
5: Don't worry about where I have ended up at this point, because over the years that I've been here, I have made some very, very good um, relationships with some of the, um, not only House members, but some of the Senators.
4: She says her plan is to work with other moderates as well as Senator Stevens to ensure Kodiak remains a priority.
5: I'm not too concerned at this point what kind of title I have or don't have. My concern is making sure that our communities are taken care of.
4: Stevens, on the other hand, is once again the Senate president. He previously served in the role for two terms more than a decade ago.
6: This is my third time around as, as Senate president, so it's a, it's pretty interesting to come back 10 years later, and uh, it's a great pleasure, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it.
4: Stevens says improving education funding remains one of his top goals.
6: We simply have to address the issue of, uh, of the per-student uh, amount of money we give to, uh, to districts, um, and, and so I'm sure you'll see that as a, in the end will be a, a major issue.
4: Stevens also spoke about how the lack of pension plans for new state employees has driven some to find other jobs. Teachers, fire crews, police, and even food stamp administrator positions have been difficult for the state to fill. In the meeting, Stevens also said while a nearly $4,000 permanent fund dividend payment as proposed by Governor Dunleavy, is enticing, it would come at a significant cost.
6: In order to, uh, re- to do that dividend, uh, we would have to have an income tax or a sales tax to pay for it, or uh, the alternative of that would be to drastically cut uh, state services, uh, schools, and university, and, and all those other things.
4: Stevens also addressed funding for big infrastructure projects in the state, like port and harbor repairs.
6: Throughout my district, uh, in Kodiak, in, in Homer, in Cordova, in Saldovia, Seward uh, docks are, are a great issue a big issue and so docks and harbors are an area that we could very well do some bonding
4: on both officials can be contacted in their juno offices during the legislative session in kodiak i'm brian venwa
0: Homer's Library Advisory Board unanimously voted Tuesday to uphold a decision to keep 55 books in the children's section of the public library. The decision follows a months-long debate over what to do with the titles that largely feature LGBTQ themes. KBBI's Desiree Hagen attended the meeting and has this story.
7: Back in July, Library Director Dave Barry rejected a petition from Homer resident Madeline Veldstra to remove three books about gender identity from the children's section of the library. After the request was rejected, Veldstra and a group of others appealed the decision with the Homer city clerk. By late October, the group had added more than four dozen more titles to their list, and their petition had gathered about 600 signatures. The library board initially met to discuss the issue in November in front of a packed chamber, but postponed a final decision on the books until the new year so that they could read and review each one. At Tuesday's meeting, over 50 gathered to hear the board's verdict on the 55 contested books. Most attendees supported Barry's decision to keep the titles in the children's section. After an hour of public testimony, the board convened to discuss and vote on each title one by one.
5: Book number 11, Heather Has Two Mommies by lesliea Newman. I just have to say that I
8: cried on this one.
6: <laughs> I, I was going to say I recommend Many
7: you. of the board members, like Douglas Bailey, question why some of the books were on the list in the first
6: place. Some of the books relate to race. Some of the books relate to uh, leadership capabilities of people of color. And I can't find anything in, in many of those books that it relates to LGBTQ.
7: Bailey was referring to the book Black is a Rainbow Color, a book about black history written from the perspective of a child. One board member mentioned the only thing she thought could be considered LGBTQ themed in the book was the mention of the word rainbow. Other books were contested simply because of the sexual orientation of the author, says board member Brenda Dolma.
5: Okay, it's the author. The author is gay. And sometimes that was
7: the only thing. The author was gay. The seven-member board went on to uphold Barry's decision to keep all 55 titles in the library. In a statement afterwards, Barry said parents who would prefer to read books with heterosexual couples can pick from thousands of titles.
9: There are 12,500 titles in the children's and young adult collections combined. The 55 titles on this list represent 0.4% of that collection.
7: On the other hand, he said, those titles can provide representation to people in marginalized groups who might not see themselves represented in mainstream culture.
9: And if you are the kind of parent who would like to be able to sit down with your child in the kids' room, open up a book, and say, look, there's your mom, and there's your other mom, and isn't it nice that there's a book about us here to read? Well, we have a responsibility to stock those titles as well.
7: Audience members praised the board's dedication to read every book on the list, but City Council member Rachel Lord suggested changing the protocol for how contested books are evaluated so that the board doesn't have to consider every book that's appealed. The board plans to discuss its policy on handling contested content at its next meeting in February. While several board members downplayed the work of reading the 50-plus titles, or said that they were uplifted by reading books that they found endearing, others like Brenda Dolma praised the work of librarians and the dedication of the public. I have so much more respect for our librarians, but I would like to thank all of Homer and the hard work that everyone has put in in different capacities. Thank you, staff, and thank you, fellow board members, for all your time and effort. This is the largest number of titles ever to be contested at one time at the Homer Public Library, according to Barry. Reporting in Homer, I'm Desiree Hagan.
0: A state court judge heard arguments earlier this month from a group of YK Delta tribes and environmental groups. They're pushing the state to reconsider a permit it issued for a pipeline that would power the Donlin Gold Mine. KyuK's Francisco Martinez-Cuello has more on the legal back and forth.
3: Earth Justice is representing the tribes that oppose the Dahlen gold mine. Attorney Olivia Glasscock told an Anchorage judge last week that the state is violating its own constitution. And the legal arguments are nuanced. But essentially, Glasscock says that when the state's Department of Natural Resources issued a permit to the company to build more than 200 miles of pipeline across state land... It didn't consider the effects of the mine project as a whole.
5: The pipeline is integral to the Donlin mine project. There's no way to distinguish the two. One would not go forward without the other. And there's no existing power source in the region. Donlin needs a pipeline uh, to power its activities at the mine site.
3: She argued that the way the state issued the pipeline permit was violating part of the state's constitution that says the state has to develop its resources in a way that's in the public's interest. Superior Court Judge Adolf Zeman challenged that argument.
5: Hasn't that been done in in, in other other contexts for the the ultimate use of the land for the, the Domlin mine?
3: Meaning that the proposed onlin gold mine has gone through an extensive multi-year process to get a federal environmental review. Zeman asked Glascock if the public's best interest had been considered during that process, and she said it hasn't.
5: That process is not designed um, to make a determination about what is in the public interest for Alaska.
3: Glascock argued that in order to consider Alaskans' public interest in this case... The state has to consider whether it should use public lands, where the pipeline would go, to support projects happening on private lands, where the mine would go. Other lawyers push back against that idea. The state's lawyer says it would radically change the way the state does pipeline permitting. Matthew Singer, a lawyer for Chalista, says that's not the state's job. Chalista is one of the regional Alaska Native corporations supporting the mine's development. Singer asked the court to consider the argument in another context like if the Department of Transportation wanted to improve a highway and add an off-ramp.
5: And so, for example, if a new uh, burger joint was going to be built uh, near the off-ramp, uh, apparently DNR would or DOT would need to evaluate, well, are burgers good for public health? And if they're not, then uh, maybe we shouldn't have more hamburger joints, and so we shouldn't improve the highway.
3: Lawyers for the state and Donlin pushed back against other parts of Glasscock's arguments. They say the group she represents don't actually have the standing to appeal the state's permitting decision. They say the state analysts who consider pipeline permits aren't qualified to consider other parts of the project, like mining and ore processing facilities. And they argue that the project has been reviewed extensively at the state and federal level and doesn't need this particular review to make it safer. Arguments like this have been coming up for years. The Donlin Project is polarizing, especially on the YK Delta, where two regional Alaska native corporations are working together to develop it, and several Alaska tribes oppose it. Most of the mine's detractors focus on the potential environmental impacts of putting what would be one of the world's largest gold mines on a tributary of the Kuskokwim River, the biggest source of subsistence food for people on the YK Delta. Supporters say it is an economic boost the region needs badly, that it will bring jobs and lower energy costs. It's not clear when Judge Zema will put out a final decision on the case. He said he'd do it as soon as he could. But there are other pending cases against the mine and its permits. In Bethel, I'm Francisco Martinez-Cuello.
0: And it's been a winter for the record books when it comes to holiday travel. Snow, ice, and scheduling issues have snarled flights stranding passengers for days or weeks. Alaska has largely been spared from the airline crisis, aside from the usual weather-related issues that hold up flights from time to time. But here in Alaska, the problems are on the water. As KRBD's Eric Stone reports, the Alaska Marine Highway System's decision to pull the Matanuska out of service has left some travelers stuck abroad.
9: Mary Lindahl and her husband Jim love to ski in Smithers, British Columbia.
5: In total, I, I figured it out. We've done it over 160 around, or 160 trips. So we've been doing it for about 20 years.
9: The Ketchikan couple usually spends two to three weeks at their cabin in Smithers. After all, it's no small feat to get there. It's about four hours of driving through northern B.C. in the middle of the winter, and that's after a seven-hour ferry from Ketchikan to Prince Rupert. But it's always been worth it. All nine of the doll's grandkids learned to ski in Smithers, plus a half dozen other their Ketchikan friends. This year, Mary Lynn says the dolls planned a longer trip. They'd stay about two months, since the marine highway system wasn't running any ferries in January.
5: In order to come down for Christmas to meet with our friends and our family who drives up from Seattle, we had to come down the early part of December, and we couldn't leave until December, until February seventh.
9: Why no ferries in January? The Matanuska, the ferry that runs to Prince Rupert, was in the shipyard getting some work done. During its annual overhaul, crews spotted some concerning issues on the Matanuska. Deputy Transportation Commissioner Catherine Keith said at a recent Marine Highway Operations Board meeting that one problem is crumbling asbestos.
8: There has been always asbestos on board these aging vessels, and we we know it's there. Um, However, when uh, asbestos becomes exposed, or is friable, meaning it's in like a dust that it is in in the air, basically, then it becomes a a health risk.
9: That stopped work immediately. The state, of course, doesn't want welders and pipe fitters breathing in cancer-causing dust. But crumbling asbestos wasn't the worst of what they found.
8: And in addition to that, during the overhaul, uh, there was more discovered steel, which is going to increase the cost of this overhaul significantly, and the amount of time that the vessel would be in
9: overhaul. Keith says repairs to the corroded steel will dramatically increase the cost of the overhaul. And she says the ferry service isn't sure what to do with the 60-year-old ship. We
8: would like to pause on our decisions for capital investments in this project uh, to see what really is the wisest choice right now. Um, this steel work uh, it could increase the cost of this overhaul up to 8 or $10 million, and we're still trying to quantify that exactly.
9: That brings up a whole host of issues. The Matanuska has been the primary vessel serving the so-called mainline route through southeast Alaska. Its sister ships, the Taku and Malaspina, are both out of service. One was cut up for scrap. The other sold off as a floating museum. But for a more immediate concern.
8: Ultimately, what these developments mean is that the Matanuska will not be able to be on our summer schedule.
9: Or the February schedule. The ferry service isn't totally out of options. Keith says the flagship ferry Columbia is coming off the bench to fill in.
8: The Columbia will now be on our schedule and sailing uh, as soon as
9: February 13th. That's just a week after the dolls were originally scheduled to sail home. No problem. They're retired. Anyone who's traveled in Alaska or northern Canada during the winter knows it's a good idea to plan for a bit of a cushion in case of delays. But the Columbia won't be going to Prince Rupert. It's not certified for international travel. And even if it was, it's too big to tie up the Prince Rupert terminal. The other ship with the necessary certification to sail the Prince Rupert, the Kennecott, is scheduled to hit the shipyard in February for maintenance. So a few days ago, Dahl says she got some bad news.
5: The ferry service called us and said that our 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 ferry home from Prince Rupert to Ketchikan has been canceled, period. And there's no plan to replace it. <laughs> we said, what? <laughs> well, what? Well, what are we supposed to do? We're down here and we have a ticket to come home.
9: Sure, they could fly home, but it's awfully hard to fly with a car full of ski stuff and two dogs. Airlines don't exactly take cars as checked baggage.
5: And they said, well, you know, there is no option unless you drive down to Bellingham. And <laughs> I, was a, I was a little shocked, to be honest with you.
9: Bellingham, Washington, is the southernmost port on the marine highway system. It's also a 13-hour drive from Smithers in the summer.
5: So we are going to drive 700 miles to Bellingham um, from here in Smithers where we're now. And then we have to get on the ferry a week later and go another 750 miles the other direction to get back to Ketchikan, which is kind of crazy.
9: The State Department of Transportation did not return interview requests or answer written questions before the story was first published. But a day after, spokesperson Shannon McCarthy provided a written statement. Close to 40 passengers and 20 vehicles had their tickets refunded or rebooked as a result of the Prince Rupert cancellations, according to McCarthy. Those reservations were spread over three sailings in February, March, and April. McCarthy says the ferry service doesn't reimburse for gas or lodging, and she confirmed that there are no plans to send a state ferry or private vessel to Prince Rupert to fill in for the Matanuska. So Mary Lynn and her husband are on their own.
5: It's really irritating. I know that these boats are old and I know they need maintenance, but that should be expected and planned. And and because you've sold the tickets already, unless the boat is imminently going to sink... I think you should pick those people up and bring them home and then, you know, not, not proceed to keep running the boat. And plan a little bit better.
9: And she has some ideas. She says she'd like to see the ferry system upgrade more ships to handle the Prince Rupert route. And she says the Alaska legislature should find a way to insulate the marine highways budget from shifting political winds. But for now, she's planning for a long, cold drive south. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Eric Stone. More
7: layoffs in the tech industry. I'm Novosafo with the Marketplace Minute. The latest to cut jobs is Google parent Alphabet. It's laying off 12,000 people globally. That's about 6% of its workforce. And online furniture retailer Wayfair is cutting 10% of its workforce. That's nearly 1,800 jobs. Earlier this week, Microsoft announced 10,000 layoffs. Netflix is undergoing a major leadership change. Reed Hastings is stepping down as CEO. He ran Netflix for more than 20 years and will serve as executive chairman on the company's board. Existing home sales in December declined for the 11th straight month, down 34% compared to a year earlier as higher interest rates weigh on the housing market. I'm Novasafo with a Marketplace Minute.
1: Marketplace Minute is supported by JLL, shaping the future of real estate for a better world.
2: Hello Kodiak and welcome to the January 20th edition of Highland Byways. I'm Pam Foreman. It's sure easy to let yourself get a little glum with the gray skies of late, but those gray, drippy days are perfect for a walk in the woods. Our moss-covered spruce forests are almost mystical, and I always find something new to admire or to photograph. Sometimes wandering through our forests can bring you to the ocean's edge where you might hear the sound of long-tailed ducks even before you see them. They have a distinctive sound that carries a long way over the water. Long-tailed ducks hang out in fairly large groups. You can often spot a group of them not too far from shore. I recommend taking a closer look at them through binoculars, though. It's a beautiful little duck. At a glance, you'll think they are black and white. But at a closer look, you'll see that the males have a black and brown back, white flanks, and a pale gray, almost white, mask. The bill is black with a dark pink or coral colored bar across the middle, and of course, a very long tail. The females don't have the long tail or the pink on the bill. I think it's always worth taking a pair of binoculars with you on your walks this time of year. There are lots of ducks just offshore that you won't be able to identify without a closer look. If you don't want to carry the added weight or bulk of binoculars on your hike, think about getting a monocular instead. They aren't too expensive, they're very lightweight, and they take up far less room in your pocket than binoculars do. A monocular won't give you the wide field of view that binoculars do, but it will bring things in for a closer look, and that's the whole idea. Wherever you choose to wander these days, keep your eyes and ears open. You never know what wonders you might come across, no matter what the weather. And that's it for Island Byways this week. Have fun and stay safe out there. Thanks for listening.
7: This is the Island Messenger, a look at personal messages, the weather, and community announcements.
2: Alaska Aerospace announces that access to Fossil Beach is now open. They'd like to thank everyone for their patience while they clean the area near Fossil Beach.
0: Thanks, Pam. A few other announcements for today, Uh, looking at some of the ones coming up on us. Mid-Short will be holding a gardening workshop on Friday, January 20th. That's today. That's 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. in the library multi-purpose room. She will be teaching about growing onions, leeks, and shallots from seed. The workshop is free and open to the public. And the Kodiak Hospital Auxiliary will be holding their next monthly meeting this Saturday, January 21st. That's tomorrow, from 10 a.m. until 11.30 a.m. in the Pyramid Room at Providence Kodiak Island Medical Center. All are welcome for that. And a reminder that the Kodiak City Council will hold a work session on January 24th. That's at 7.30. They'll also be holding a regular meeting on January 26th. That's also at 7.30. The meeting is open to the public. Public members are encouraged to tune in right here at KMXT. The meeting will be web-streamed, and the web-streaming link and other other meeting packets are available online at the city's website. For those who wish to request printed meeting materials or have questions regarding the meeting, please contact the clerk's office. That number is 486-8636. And the Kodiak Refuge is hosting a nature journaling night for free free for adults, teens and youth. Stop by any time between 4 and 6 p.m. on Thursday, January 26th. That's it for now.
7: Tiene curiosidad sobre el desarrollo de su hijo, el Programa de Aprendizaje Infantil de Kana, Head Start The Rural Cap y el Distrito Escolar de Kodiak Island Borough están ofreciendo una evaluación basada en el juego sin costo para niños recién nacidos hasta los cinco años, el 4 de febrero de 10 a.m. a 2 p.m. en la Escuela Primaria East. Puedes programar una cita llamando al 907-486-7574. Se prefieren citas, pero se aceptarán visitas sin previo aviso. Listen for the Island Messenger here on Public Radio KMXT three times a day, Monday through Friday at 9 a.m., during the midday report at 12.20, and in the evening at 7 o'clock. If you have a community announcement or personal message, including lost and found items or pets, you can call KMXT at 486-3181, fax us at 486-2733, or email psa at kmxt.org.